What is worse, exploitation or irrelevancy? Both lead to recessions. A period of economic downturn is how it is politicized. What it really means is a plummeting disaster of value. If you live in America, you are taxed on what you earn, taxed on what you spend, and taxed on what you sell or produce. Since the year 2020, government-funded bailouts have been used to save corporations, banks, and even other countries. In order that they survive an economic crash, often created by and profited from the institutions that caused it, on a scale never before seen in history. In 2008, the Emergency Stabilization Act did the exact same thing, and perhaps not so coincidentally, became the architecture for future recession investing. How does a nation hold its leaders accountable for misjudgment? If failure does not result from error, is it still an error, or is it manipulation? The WEF, the World Economic Forum, wants to convince the working and non-working citizens of the globe that the solution is to give up more, as if to blatantly say their increased power and wealth was personal and not morally applicable to the plight of the common man. The elites of the WEF also manage some of the largest equity companies in the world, run by the largest investment firms in history such as BlackRock and Vanguard, with people like Bill Gates, who have spent billions and combined trillions of dollars buying up farmable land, as well as entire housing markets, often spending 10 to 20% more than the listed price. We might argue that at least Bill Gates is our billionaire, but technically he is also a foreign power. That is part of the foundation of how the WEF works. It is its own sovereign nation of sorts, more powerful than many countries on the planet. Are corporations that conspire, gouge, and exploit civilization planning a future that benefits the individual in a moral way? Can we all truly be happy by owning nothing, by homogenizing the human spirit and pretending that inside we are all just clay to be molded by perceptions and ideologies. Is that our destiny, our fate? To be the Play-Doh of other Homo sapiens that believe they are better, stronger, and smarter than us? Us from which they have taken nearly everything and ask for more. Is it a reset, or is it just slavery? It explains, it explains a little that actually explains it a lot better than i heard anyone else that was explain. my that was my goal so hopefully that was i succeeded yeah because i watched several different people talking about it i watched like russell brand some other podcasts as well and i also like looked at the world economic uh forum like i watched their videos and it still made no sense. I'm like, I don't know what you want, what you're trying to do, what you are doing. Like, nothing here is making sense to me. To me, it's just corporations just doing what corporations have always done, just trying to be bigger. 
just blindsiding us and trying to create more profit. Yeah, I mean that's that's always what they're doing. And so it's just, this didn't seem any different to me. Like uh, BlackRock buying up all the the real estate, um, like home uh, homes in an area. It's like, well, okay, that's just you know that's good business. <laughs> hmm. What do you think, Nave? I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just well, saying I have, that's what I they do. No, no, I'm I, I'm not going to judge you. <laughs> Yeah, I, it definitely seems like what you were saying, it just sounds like something that I was never able to articulate, but something that I kind of just felt was already happening as well. I'm kind of similar to uh, Zach in that way, where I, I I listened to, I didn't listen to two weeks worth, I listened to half of Glenn Beck's book, and I, I couldn't get through it. I was having a hard time like keeping information in my head. He was throwing so much economics and it's like talking about deep mining uh rare minerals and i'm like i don't know where we are anymore <laughs> like i don't know what yeah. he's even trying to, to get to well one thing uh a point that um glenn beck made he i wish he worded it this way so i'll simplify it but basically what he was saying in his book in one part was that um the foundation of capitalism is to always is is to always found a new market. That's essentially what capitalism is always trying to do. So a new market yeah. is like um, if we go back two hundred years, uh, a new market uh, was housing because there's so much land that people wanted to live in. Now there's still a lot of accessible land, right? That is developed can be developed, but people don't want to live there, right? Because it's too far from resource or whatever the excuse is. You know, too far from work, too far from you know necessities, right? Yeah. Simple things. Yeah. So, but. The fact that that was a booming new market, kind of like the gold rush, that was a new market, that was an old market with a resurgence. So gold always had value. But in the United States, once they discovered there was gold here, the entire world became interested in it, right? And that created a lot of wealth. It created a lot of mirth as well. I mean, but what what is the outcome? There are tons, maybe maybe thousands, I don't know how many there are, of towns and villages in the Midwest, or yeah, some in the Midwest, but mostly in the center of the United States and the Southwest that are abandoned now because the resource there dried up, right? The oh. the, the market yeah, there dried up. Yeah, it be coal or oil or whatever. Right, There's so- a lot of towns like that that are based around a single economic, and then when that dries up- Correct, yeah. It, 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 the town dies. Like, take Detroit. That's like one of the most famous- No, that's an excellent example. Detroit is an excellent modern example. But part of what Glenn Beck was making, the point he was getting at was that in our modern day, there isn't much left as far as new actual market is concerned. So the biggest newest market is us, is is our data, right? That that's the yeah, new gold mine. That's, that's the, the new newest, gold rush. Yeah. But I think AI is gonna trump that market. Like well, once artificial I mean, intelligence maybe. comes up and once um self-driving cars and things like that and all the, all this technology boom i think that's what's going to be the new um market place besides i mean we'll always be part of it now that we are a part of it we'll always our data personal data will always be a part of that but i think tech companies with um with ai focus is what's gonna boom well, that was so in the beginning of my intro, that's what I touched on when I when I mentioned exploitation versus irrelevancy and, and which is worse. That's kind of what I was getting at is the fact that it's it's a long argument. It's not something I just, you know, that just came up or whatever. But exploitation refers to, um, say, like the Industrial Revolution, right, where 
workers were treated very badly and mm-hmm. you could work at any age and it didn't matter really what happened to you or what the health issues were. You were exploited for your labor, right? right? In order for them to get rich and powerful. But now, like you mentioned, AI and robotics and, and automated devices and, and mm-hmm. engineering, now the threat may be irrelevancy because they don't need us anymore. They can produce the worker that they, they need, the labor that they need. Right. So- yeah. If that is that's also part of the of the conversation of the Great Reset, it's like, well, well, then what role are we going to play? Do we do we just become completely gray as a human race because robots replace no, the worker? I think that that you become a greater human when you don't have to work. I think you become you now have the freedom to choose what you want to do with your life. Like, let it be art, uh, creativity, let it be being a a care provider. Like you want to raise your children or take care of your parents or grandparents, even, you know, like that's when your, your humanity truly shines when you don't have to work. I kind of want to jump onto that part, that idea. I don't know. I'm not a hundred percent sure if everyone would be able to function better if they weren't working. I think a lot of people need a certain kind of structure in their life, especially if they didn't have structure before. I think um, about how kind of aimless I was before I finally got like a, a career job that it had the same time. It just gave me a foundation to where all of a sudden I was losing a lot of my free time, but I had money to do with what I needed to. And I think that people just acquiring money without any i think that i think there are psychological implications that maybe i don't know how to articulate off the top of my head but that's where my like emotional no, response i know what you're saying because i've from. heard that argument before but i disagree with it fu- fully because um you can create your own structure like you have that ca- capability if you you can structure your day so I, i'm gonna wake up at 6 a.m i'm gonna start my day by going to the gym and then i'm gonna work on language development and then i'm gonna work on my my artistic you know it's like you know there's different you can you can set time frames for yourself and then you can fill your day with things and that will give you purpose just improving yourself and those around you too maybe you want to improve the lives of others in your area and well, that implies that that implies that everyone is able to like like you're 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 adding a foundation onto this hypothetical person because i feel like you would be able to do that and i would maybe be able to do that but like a layman like a random person who doesn't think about these things and isn't aware that they're just wasting their time i think about like you know the stereotypical american sitting on the couch drinking coca-cola watching tv all day and that's all they do you know what i mean that kind of imagery i feel like if a lot of people were able to not have to put effort into working and but they could acquire all of the stimulus that they wanted they could get porn they could get food uh, and high in calorie food they don't have to worry about their uh survival that they would just fall into this rut of yeah of but simplicity should, but that that's what it is is that it's that it's you get bored with it right so you get bored with that with that uh mundane mundanity of just simple pleasures all the time so you would create your own meaning you would have to otherwise you you would you like you're saying you would drown but i think they can also be taught like you can teach people to create their own structure like that's not something that you just have to be thrown into the deep end with you can 
ease your way into it even from a young age you know you can start teaching like kids like you know we're gonna structure we can structure days you know you can have your sports time you can have your time to to learn these different fields you can do different things follow your your passions well part of what you both are talking about is um let's call it facility right um what you have access to and how much you control how much control you have access to resources and assets that that bring you purpose or and or joy and satisfaction in your life uh right now that's up to you right in the united states at least you have that freedom to be a lazy sloth or useless person and, and possibly live off the system indefinitely through different means or you can work really hard and achieve things that are monumental and possibly world-changing but the one of the core let's say emotional arguments of the great reset is the idea that you, you you're going to hear this all the time that you'll own nothing and you'll be happy right which to me harkens back a little bit to an old saying that goes like this um do as i do as do as you're told not as i do right which is sort of that uh, that authority you know the yeah. mother and father authority that corporations and government have always been sort of given respect for right and i think a lot of people still do look at them that way but how do you guys feel about that about the idea that you could lose a lot of ownership over the things that you consider your your yours i mean what what yeah your what part does the idea of ownership play in your happiness and your satisfaction or or is the you know the idea that you could just literally share everything even even in a ho-hum way would be would be okay would be good enough i think it really well, just depends on like <clears throat> a per, a per, an, an individual's like conscientiousness or their openness with like other human beings i guess like it's like the while i was listening specifically i'm going at this from glenn beck's point of view because that's who i had speaking into my brain for six hours but um <laughs> uh he seemed really manic and and scared of all of this all this complete change and he would he would he would keep presenting he would like pay attention this is going to be super scary and then he'd start speaking about just this is change and i don't like change it's essentially what my brain kept kept like this is the information i'm getting from this whatever this is and i it's uh the the loss of ownership that does worry me in a way but but i'm a little bit more kind of Ah, uh, see, I don't know how to explain this, so I'm going to give the floor up. This is a hard, this is a hard thing to articulate. <laughs> no, that's all right. Um, when I I don't understand what that's in context to, because it can't just literally mean you'll own nothing and be happy. Because how could you own nothing and be happy? Like that, that doesn't make sense. Well, that that is, I think the and that's the conundrum, right? That's why it's it's sort of a clickbaity kind of thing to say. I think one good example is to use uh, well. Uh, communistic countries. So like China, right? So I have some friends who live in China and um, most of them are actually pretty happy with their situation there, even though right now things are terrible. Uh, One of my friends, he's in his fifties and he, uh, to put it into context, like there's no, you don't think about having to worry about say rent or, um, or having a place to live. Everyone has a place to live, right? So the way he paints it again, our, communication is rough because he doesn't speak fluent English and I speak zero Chinese. (laughs) So it's kind of ignorant of me, but, um, is that, you know, people that are poor who live on the streets, they're the ones that are just so lazy that have, that put no effort into being useful to society 
that they willfully decide to be there. So homelessness is like a, a willful thing. And they have severely less homelessness than we have here. Now, visually, if you were to compare their, let's say, ghettos or their low rent districts, you would might consider it as sort of, you know, uh, like the low caste in India or or even like the shanty towns in California okay. here, something like that. So it, it, it can be grim. But you the the state basically what happens is your usefulness to the state is measured. So you have a value and we talked about this in a previous co- co- uh, podcast about the value of human life. Mm-hmm. In, tech, in China, that is measured directly. And you know, you have a very good idea of what your worth is to the state, to the country. And that is a measure of your skills, your intelligence, how well you can be educated, how fast you can learn things. I mean, everything. And the, the data of a person determines where you fit into society. And then you can build on that to climb that ladder, but there everywhere is a ladder. Mm. Now, technically that exists here in the United States. And my favorite description economically and socially of the United States is not democracy. It's not even Republic. It's feudal oligarchy. That's technically what we have here, right? That's why there's so much difference between each state, say Texas and Illinois, the, you know, the people are different, the economies are different, the way people live is so different because the oligarchy that controls that economy is separated in different ways by, you know, distance or, or, or influence, right. though even that, that, that is being great because of our connection through, through technology. I now. would say definitely there was a, uh, a much big, bigger difference before the internet between states than there is now. Before there was like rapid communication. Yeah. I mean, without a doubt. I mean, look, I remember, you know, having a phone attached to a wall and, you know, having yeah. to, I used to be learning how to use a map to get places, knowing streets and, and, and telephone numbers memorized. You know, I, now I, I feel very stupid actually have to rely on those things. But that is an example of owning nothing because you don't, you don't have ownership of where you live. You don't have ownership sometimes, I think, even of like the car you drive. You know, everything is sort of awarded to you in a system of how well, how useful you are. So if you, I think what it can be boiled down to a lot of times is, do you have a problem with authority? When you see a lot of people yes. rebelling, <laughs> if you have a problem with authority, then you have a problem with that kind of system. Because yeah. it, that, no, I definitely that, do. that seems, yeah. <laughs> no, I definitely do have a problem with that. I would like you describing the situation in China is like, I would hate that. Like that, that sounds awful. Um, I mean, it sounds nice to be able to not have to worry about rent. But I also like to, to be able to own a building and be able to rent it out if I want to. You know, it makes me like, curious because you say, you say if you were there you would hate it, but I I don't I I might not that I would disagree completely, but if you if these people were here, they probably would feel like they would hate it here as well. But I think people become acclimated to their environment more than more than people would like imagine. I think that. Well, the I first thing I I'm thinking about, yeah, I personally, I, I as well, I, I don't like the idea of not being able to like control my environment, my own like personal surroundings. But I think about uh, this book called, uh, it's by Viktor Frankl. It's called Man's Search for Meaning. And I think about this book a lot when I think about this kind of thing, like China and communism and stuff. I think about one thing that he said was that uh, misery fills the human body like a gas. So, but it so how gases fill up, uh, how va- uh, gases fill up a uh, an area is they spread out and they fill the whole entire area, and that's how misery is. So, no matter how much misery is put into the into the human body, it fills up the body. It's kind of like a uh, 
I don't know, like a everyone's subjective experience for misery. But he does that in particular for the uh, the concentration camps in the in World War Two, the German uh, whatever they were called, Auschwitz and stuff like that. And he was he would talk about how everyone was in the worst possible situation that they could possibly imagine, but they were laughing and they were happy. They were like just continuing their day. This was just their new existence. And I think that even though it is, it feels like an objectively worse life to be in this, in like communistic China and not have control of anything. I feel like if we were just dropped in there after a few months, we either completely rebel or, and get killed off, or are we realize how what our situation is now, and then we acclimate and just become part of that system. Yeah, no, you can definitely adapt to different situations. I think humans are very ad- adaptable and that you can find the silver lining in anything, right? But, like, that doesn't mean that it's not a good situation. Like, I still think that, like, it's, it's, there's still objectively better places you could be in or different, better states that you could be in. I think well, that what interests me most about um, the Great Reset narrative is how that in media, and that includes social media, the target is us. It's always brought down to an individual level as though we make the decision. And yet we live in a world where our decisions have almost no power outside of you know what we have to do in our day-to-day lives. And one thing that I found interesting, I, I forget who pointed it out. I want to say it was Brett Weinstein pointed it out. Yeah, the media focuses on the individual as though it's our responsibility to make to allow this change or even to initiate, to execute this change in the world, this great reset. And yet we don't have that power, not not directly, right? The world, decisions are made for us in the world we live in all the time. And I find that really interesting that that the, the narrative is brought that low, that they don't, that they conduct themselves with authority, with an authority they don't ask for, right? They, they just do what they want. Like, what rich people, powerful people have done throughout entire history. Yeah, I was going to say that's just like inherent. But in, then in they the make power. the conversation, yeah, they make the conversation seem as though it it is ours to guide. Why why that why that play is what I'm always curious about. Why, you know, because, oh, this yeah. is the point I wanted to make from Brett Weinstein was that um, in America, we're raised, it almost doesn't matter where in America you're raised or what's your political ideology. You're raised with the idea that you can be anything you want, Right. That you can do anything that you want. You're you're almost like this perfect being. All you've got to do is apply yourself. You want to be a famous athlete? Just got to train. You want to be a, you know, a, the the most intelligent accountant or, or or you know coder? You just got to train. But one thing that I my my one of my friends in China pointed out to me is that you learn there that you can't just do anything you want. It's a more practical um, approach to life. You have to test yourself to know what you can do. And that 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 struck me. I thought that was because I've always felt like I've had that opinion, right? I so I feel like somewhere in the middle of I can do anything, and uh, let me see what I can do is where we should be. Well, what I do you think, think about that? It's like uh, one of the great horse trainers says, "It's like any horse can do any maneuver, just with different quality." So all humans can do anything. You're literally, I think you, we get, we're, we're we're super beings, and you can literally do anything. You do just have to apply yourself. But it's the applying yourself that is hard. Will you be the best? I don't probably maybe well, not. That's, yeah, how practical but, is that then? Like if you wanted you to be still, a basketball player, you look you're in tremendous shape, but could you be an excellent basketball player? It, I would say if I trained long enough and didn't have my back issues and all this other stuff, you know, 
before that i could have yeah and if it, i tried you know oh but I, before i mean like right now so that's right the, now yeah, like how well, practical would, is that mentality i would need to have surgery that would like fix my back and but even then you know i could still learn how to i could still train to jump higher i could train to i could push through the pain that i'm currently in if i really wanted to mm. So you still, so for, for you, you definitely lean more towards the, the ideal that we've, we've been raised on that we can. Yeah, no, I, I definitely be believe we can do, we can achieve and do anything if we want to. What it's do you, just, I think it's difficult and I think it's very hard to stick to a path and to, and to follow it all the way through because people want things, but they don't have the fire. They don't have the drive to actually obtain the thing. I mean, you, you were training to be a knight. You could see how other people who would want to be a knight couldn't just become a knight. Like they, they just, they, they didn't have the actual drive to do it. It wasn't what they really wanted to do. Right. What do you think, Nave, about that and the motivation that requires us to do things that we want? I definitely think that there are a lot of biological factors that are introduced whenever you because like clearly i mean everyone knows like kids are born with cancer some kids are born paralyzed or deformed or something like there are some kids are beautiful more beautiful than others don't take that out of context please but um (laughs) the uh the idea that anyone could do anything i think if i if you take that literally it's obviously not true so i'm not gonna be like a facetious guy about it but it's 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 interesting that you were that you were talking about these people wanting to be knights and then just not having the drive. And it, it, there's so many factors that go into that. The way that I imagine human beings, as far as like their potential to do what they want is I think about them as like logs that are to be whittled down into wooden statues, just slowly on one of those spinning machines. And I think about some logs are very tall. Some are wide. Some are, some are like chipped in the inside or something, but you are as you're going through life with your experiences your life and yourself your consciousness are slowly whittling down at this at this log to create some form of beauty and it's it's up to you that to some degree what you're doing but sometimes you're going to make a mistake and damage part of your statue and your statue has you have to pivot you either pivot or you just stop and try to examine what's going on and that's kind of what, where my brain, where my mindset was at while you guys were talking. If so that means anything. Like there's, there's natural talents that people have, right? Oh, absolutely. Then- I, 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 I definitely experienced this like in my own. I have some weird kind of like, I'm really good at pattern recognition. And, like everyone knows what they're good at. Like they know things that they, they excel in. Like whenever I picked up the guitar, I picked up the guitar with three other people. We all started playing at the same time and I just jumped over them. I leapfrogged past them because my brain, I wasn't thinking about how do I become creative or artist or artistic. I th- I thought, wow, there are just a bunch of patterns on this thing. I can just memorize these patterns and now I'm making sounds and everyone around me goes, whoa, you're doing good. Even though I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm like, this is just a pattern. And everyone around me is like, you're so creative and you're doing great. But it's like, I'm not trying to be creative. I'm just trying to recognize the scale, like a pentatonic scale. You know what I mean? It's a different like mindset, a way of thinking that I, I don't think I was raised to have, but it was, I think that was probably something that I was just a natural talent I was born with. Like, it makes guys, me very good at video games as well. Like, it's just. Oh, the, you know, I actually want to say something about video games that, that I think relates to this, but I'll save it for a little bit later. But I was going to ask, um, do you feel 
that hold on dinosaur I keep losing my thought I got too much in my mind hi this is Marco from audio pong your podcast about the human experience during this short break please consider supporting the show by checking out our patreon page in the links provided at audio pong on twitter and listen to us on any of your favorite platforms what helps more than anything is sharing audio pong with others you can also contact us directly through email with audiopong at gmail.com zach and i appreciate your support our goal is to keep making content that matters and now back to the show By the way, Nave dinosaurs are my way of, uh, or our way of like a cut. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, because like we just say dinosaur randomly, it mean it catches your attention. Like, what the hell are they talking about, dinosaur? You know, (laughs) in case you miss something. Um, shit. We tried to do when me and Philip were streaming. We were trying to have a word for clip that so that we would know where the where because he could make marks in the stream, and we decided on waffle fries. But then it became a joke that we would randomly say waffle fries, and it would be funny to us. So we would include waffle fries in the clip, negating the entire reason for making the code word up. That's so funny. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty much what we do with dinosaur. Well, I hope we don't start doing that too often. <laughs> no, no, not the not the joke aspect, but the the practical aspect. Yeah, of right. Because if you just start throwing dinosaur at me in the middle of a, <laughs> <I'm gonna laughs> yeah, shit, I, I, I talked about dinosaurs on our conspiracy theory. That's true. So they help build the dinosaur. The, the dinosaurs help build the dinosaurs. The dinosaurs help build <laughs> the pyramids. <laughs> God, that would be such a cool video game. If you, you had like an RTS or something, you would build Egypt with dinosaurs. That that hasn't been mixed yet. They should do that. Yeah. There's an interesting RTS win. called uh, Age of Mythology. That's It's not dinosaurs, oh, yeah. but it's like adding mythological creatures and stuff into the real-time strategy. It's really cool. Okay, I, I'm going to pick something else because I forgot my original thought. So, dinosaur. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the media and social media. Now, this comes up a lot and we've even had conversations focused on it. So I don't want to, you know, segue too much, but it's my opinion, at least, that the uh, the media has always segregated us. But I think with how powerful and inclusive and intrusive the media is now, especially social media, it, it is really being used against us. And it is definitely controlled by the corporations that own it. Um, the question is why, what, it, what is the, the benefit? I have my conspiracies of why it's useful for civilization owners and planners and managers to keep us fighting each other. But why is there, why is there less brotherhood? Why, why have those who have died literally for unity and, and, um, and, and brotherhood like Martin Luther King or John F. Kennedy, um, why have their efforts seemed to be fading away? We seem to be going backwards rather than forwards when it comes to accepting the differences in each other, especially if we're to have a great reset where all of us are supposed to get along no matter who we are or what we think. Do you feel that 
your differences should be homogenized. Uh, should you, should a community truly, should there be one global community and we just all have to learn to get along? I kind of like to use Occam's razor for something like that. Like my gut reaction is to go, I think humans have always been fighting and nature is in fact just inherently chaotic to a point where we have to be aggressive about our our own survival. I think our own our own instincts are honed to that. I think it was from I think I heard from you guys when you guys were talking about where um, your brain, your the way that you respond to somebody being negative to you on the internet is the same way as you being threatened in real life. It might have been you. I might have attributed that to <laughs> the wrong person. But no, we talked about that. Yeah, the rele- yeah the relevance of of like um, how the brain measures fear and emergency. Right. It's just like for the brain, it, it's it just has levels. <clears throat> you know, of a max and a minimum. Let's say like a gauge, a throttle, and what triggers it is um, is what i guess you could say irrelevant right whether it's right. a nightmare or an actual emergency your brain is going to respond chemically the same way but yeah go ahead sorry that kind of in a weird way loops back around to my victor frankel point of misery fills like a gas in the body of the vessel it's like um how how what exactly was i getting at the uh the the division oh occam's razor okay so um my brain just immediately goes, well, these algorithms are designed to keep our attention for as long as humanly possible. And the people that are mediating these algorithms are human beings with their own biases who may or may not be aware that they are subtly influencing the uh, the narrative in some way, especially since all of these tech companies are in one singular area. It makes me think about this whole I don't want to use this word, but the globalists. I'm gonna the globalists uh, <laughs> idea. What I what I really dislike about that is that all of these areas are they all have their own unique cultures and their own uh, unique sorts of people. And it's obvious if you just drive from the east coast to the west coast, you're going to see so many different kinds of people and with different kinds of uh, 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 leanings in all different directions. It's it's having something to control. All of these people, I would almost argue that the United States is too big. Like the United States should probably be like four or five countries. Like they, because Florida is a completely different place than Oklahoma. Like I don't know if you've been to Florida, but I have no idea what's going on over there. But um, it's it's this it's this idea that we have this one government to control all of these different cultures. It's like they have to make a law, but they have to act. They have to apply that to the people in California, but they also have to apply that to the people in Kentucky. You know what I mean? And so how do they make laws that are blank? Because laws are literally just blanket rules that go over every that it's a foundational rule for our society. Um, well, that's that's why it's broken up into federal and state government. And so the states still have their own say in what how their state is run and what laws their people have to follow. Now, you want to talk about great division within the country. Talk about just within the state of Illinois. You got Chicago and then you got a rural towns. <laughs> you know, like they're completely different. Cook County is different than Ogle County by entirely. Ogle is like, you know, like a farm country, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's all within the same state of Illinois. So to say like the, the, the same laws apply for across that is even difficult to do. But I mean, I agree. How much are you going to do it? Thiefdoms? Like how, how small do you want to go? Yeah. Well, and it's I, think, not- I think there's greater power in, in numbers, right? Like if you all can come together and work this out and, and just kind of like, you know, you, that, that's why it does subdivide into those different things. So people can control their, 
their economies and their um their their laws and what rules they had to follow you can burn paper in this town but you can't in that town because of different uh pollution rates and uh driving hazards and things like that you can own chickens in your backyard in one state or in one uh county but not the other so it's like you know it, it, it all the, that that's why it's broken down is so that people you can have those fine-tuned but you that's can still tight. have everyone come together and, and under one country, even a large country like the United States, which is a large country, you know, I would say what China, uh, Russia is probably the only country that's bigger. I'm sure there's a couple more out there, but like we have a bigger population than Russia. <laughs> Most yeah. of our land is habitable right where Russia's isn't. You know? Similar to Australia. That does tie up yeah. like that does tie up kind of not my point, but kind of my rambling a little bit pretty well, because when you when you're talking about how small is too small, how small, how big do you want to get? And when I was talking about this in reference to f- social media, I think that the entire world is a little too big. And it's um this idea Why? where all of these. Well, it's you, you see the. Every, these people uh, or these people us humans we all are very tribal we all want to find our groups that we that we are in that we that we fit in and we want to defend those groups just by our nature and you see this playing out on social media and you see this playing out in the political climate in america and you see it playing out in the political climate of like you said uh well, I can't remember where you said Illinois, but it's like you make fun of California for being super liberal or Texas for being super conservative. But Austin, Texas is crazy liberal and the northern part of California is crazy conservative. Like if you look at a political chart of their of their counties, like how mm-hmm. they vote. And it's like the what is the Dunbar's number? It's it's yeah, some it's some sort of similar kind of like mentality I Dunbar. have or yeah, the Dunbar number is where how many um, close interactions you can have uh, at a time. You can have 150 close relationships at once, and you can keep track of how everyone's interconnected and what their personal relationships are with you and and others. Yeah, I mean, so that's it's, the, that's the the number, but it varies from person to person. It that's it's it's not like a I'm not I don't want to be literal with it because I don't I'm gonna give people gotchas, but that's kind of where I am at with. Uh, the way that you can interact with people like it's, at some point people aren't people like if you're looking at words on a screen that's not a human being and i think that contributes a lot to the animosity because i've had moments where i'm arguing with a friend on facebook and then when we meet in real life we're like hey that was kind of stupid wasn't it yeah sorry we were just i don't know i don't know what came over me i'm a teenage boy so it's like well there's um, that you have that animosity not animosity amenity to a degree also you don't you don't see how your words are impacting the other person. So you don't have the same uh, empathy or with that person because you can't see how they're acting. So you can't feel how they're acting, you know? Well, you know what? The yeah. f- I remember the first thought I had when I when I went to the very first internet chat room back. This is back in the 90s, right? Like free AOL CD or disc rather, which was a floppy <laughs> that shows up in the mail. 48 hour you, trials. You get 48 hours of AOL chat and, all, and mail and all that. And I remember going to in a chat room and the first thing I thought was, boy, these are some false bitches in here because everyone is so brave <laughs> when they don't have to face you. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's no threat of me slapping you because you, you, you know, crossed the line with me. And this idea that, um, well, I mean, even the laws, you mentioned Illinois, the laws in Illinois are still pretty strict, but they're still like, you know, um, 
laws that allow, let's say, men or just people in general to get physical with each other based on a difference of opinions, let's call it. <laughs> but even that seems to be so taboo now. And yet that's how I grew up. I mean, that's like when I was a boy, that's how you solve the problem. You didn't, we didn't negotiate. <laughs> we didn't have, you know, the council of Trent has convened on uh, the issue of the baseball being thrown in a friend's face, right? You just went over there and, and pushed him or wrestled him or did or punched him, whatever. Uh, now, I don't have any boys or any children, so I don't know how things have really changed. But I, I see it in social media and I see it in the children of my friends and family members that they have this cowardice, this fear that's been sort of built into them that's that's grown in them. I don't know if you want to call it built. That's maybe too conspiratorial, but it definitely exists. This idea that they're only brave on their phone. They're not brave in reality. And maybe that's holding them back as well from pursuing things. I don't know. Does how how well does that hurt motivation? No, that's a that's an interesting point though, because I never thought about that. That um, you can be brave on your phone, but not in real life, regardless of if it's being a, a physical altercation or just approaching a girl or um, going after a promotion. I never thought about if that make if it makes you less brave. Can I add to that Sunday for you? Put a little cherry on top of that. I listened to a guy on YouTube called Larry Lawton, who's an ex-con, and he made a really good point in a previous video. He said a lot of, uh, or a good amount, let's say, of gun violence from um, police officers these days is because they grew up not fighting. They don't know how to take a punch, and they're afraid to be hit. So their immediate response is the the strongest one they have, which is their gun, their 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 you know their lethal weapon. And he's like, in his day, if you had a beef with a cop or you just weren't obeying him, he would just take his belt off and beat the shit out of you. <laughs> but now they'll just, you know, click the hammer back. So I, I just wanted I think, to add to yeah. what you're I have a really dumb anecdote, but this, from my experience, it's like, uh, it's the same, it, what you just said with the police and not wanting to fight. It's very similar to how we, you play video games and our attention span and our, or our, like, our uh, ability to accept failure where you can just, play a a puzzle and at any point in time you have the gun you have the the button that goes i'm done with this i need to sit in now you can just google whatever the hell the solution is to this thing and then get through it it's 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 a similar situation to that that's where my that's where i started thinking about it yeah that, that that's an interesting point too and i don't know if we're going off track but i think about that often too is how we kind of are in the matrix right i mean when I need to install something in my house that I've never done before, even like work on my car or plumbing, you know, I, I wasn't, I've never been trained as a plumber and yet I know how to do, you know, how to fix things underneath the sink or, and what have you uh, because of YouTube, you know, I don't even have to read yeah. anymore. I just watch a video. Before. I used to remember I've taken out books in my life from the li- local library <laughs> on how to, you know, work on a car to help my father when he, you know, he, he made me go kind of thing, right? Learn, how, learn how to learn. And, um, and yeah, well that that is interesting. The attention span, I think, affects us too, as far as what we consider important. And things, I mean, we're at a point where things just flash in front of us now. And I mean, like world issues, right? It's yeah, hold, it's hard yeah. to hold focus it's on always, anything. It's been like that our entire lives. I'd say, even from the '90s at least, um, it's been yeah, one, that's it's, the dawn it's of been, it. Right? It's been one craze after another. You know, Desert Storm, <laughs> um, World Trade Center. You know, uh, ter- War on Terror. Global war. Yeah, but even those things have years between them, right? Now things are well, like yeah, by day. I'll, I'll, gi- I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah. I'll give you that. That it has definitely shortened over the time. I mean, just look from COVID to 
um, Ukraine to now we're not even talking about Ukraine anymore. Well, that I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I agree the veracity hasn't changed, but the frequency certainly has, I right. think, you know. Yeah, and, that's what I'm saying. The the turnover rate on uh, news stories has definitely. Well, meme, memes for me, memes started, I even hated the word meme when that became a trend on the internet because it doesn't refer to any actual meme. And I had just, when, when that became a thing on the internet, I think I had just finished reading like The Selfish Gene by Richard Dawkins. And anyone who talks about genealogy and biology, they talk about memes because it's a scientific term, mm. right? So yeah. what we call memes in media, that's not those aren't memes. Um, but whatever, that's the word for it now. And memes started out as just sort of the joke you hold with yourself that everyone can relate to, to becoming sort of philosophy. I mean, memes me, memes are delivering headlines that contradict that make sense, things like Dude, that. I, 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 for the longest time, I was getting my news from iFunny because I didn't watch the news. And I would <laughs> just get, that I would statement get, alone. I would get like, yeah, I would get like current events from my iFunny. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Like, I didn't know that was happening. Cool. I, I could, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, um, okay. So I've absolutely learned about current events from memes, like just seeing them and going, that's not true. And then, and then learning that Bill Cosby might not be a good person. And I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. I mean, if, if Christ is real, is that how we're going to find out? Yeah. Right. Facebook memes. (laughs) Something so sad about it. miracle meme. (laughs) Yeah. I I think this, I think about that often too. I think the saddest part about, the way we communicate, we communicate now is that it is so impersonal. And, um, cause I mean, I, I even, I can't help it. I mean, I, I'm, in my opinion, I'm an actor at heart, right? I love generating personas and entertaining people. And for me, having grown up with the dawn of the internet, it's always been an access to that in some, to some degree, I am, I'm not myself when I'm on the internet. I troll all the time. If you were to read my comments on YouTube or Reddit, you'd be like, God, this, this is the most toxic, piece of shit person out there this is the reason we can't have nice things like that's how i sound sometimes you know yeah. and it's not me i'm I'm literally just testing the social boundaries of strangers and that's that's pretty rude like you wouldn't do that like you wouldn't go to a concert and talk to a hundred different strangers and just say crass things to get a rise out of them right because in reality again going back you you might get punched you might you might cross a line and then learn you crossed a line yeah. but on the internet you can cross you know, in social media, you can cross lines constantly. It doesn't matter. And you can do it visually, too. I mean, look, at that's what TikTok is. TikTok is the the evolution of, of you know, textual trolling, of of, of uh, incitement, right? That, that, that to get a rise out of other people, to listen to yourself and to edit yourself and to make yourself look as good and sound as good as possible. You can't do that in reality. You'll, in reality, I, I fuck up all the time, right? I would think we all do. I, I, yeah. I can't tell you how many times i've said the wrong thing and i realized how insensitive or just stupid it was or walked away and thought of the perfect comeback yeah just that's like, the like, worst damn it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, i call that the, the yeah the shower the shower review yeah there's like something like hebrew word for it where it translates to stairway wit so it's like stairway wit i yeah. like that yeah because as you're walking down the stairs that's when you think of it i like that a lot that's great yeah so yeah um one other thing i wanted to point out um about this concept of the great resetter and, and and i mean to me it all comes down to corporations they they run the world and when you when you research anything about this uh what's funny is that there's one word that explains it all but it's never used i haven't seen it in an article or even heard it in a book read it in a book and that word is monopoly that's literally 
what's going on is the return of the great monopoly, the the whole idea of the Rockefeller, right? Buy out, uh, push out all the competition by making your your services or goods cheap. And then once you own, once the competition's gone, then you charge more than anyone ever charged before, right? It's a pretty simple concept. It happens to be the world we live in. And I think that is often an argument against capitalism, right? That the idea that is the bottom line should always increase. You're always trying to make more and prices are always going up. Everything's always becoming more and more and more. There's never um, a line. There's never a line of satisfaction or, or a, a plateau that we can just live on. Like, for example, why couldn't we just have the economy of the 1980s and the technology of 2022? You think, well, that's because, you know, the, the right away your brain argues with you. But that really, I find that like when I listen to myself, I find that that argument isn't mine. And if I start to like rationally think about things, I go, yeah, why, why, would, why 1980? I could go back to 1954 or, you know, or, or just say 1947, like just right at the end of the World War II and say, let's live in that time, but just add the technology. There is a logical way to like make that fit, to make that work. But it isn't the world that we live in for some reason. We're, what we're is raised the as consumers. That you wish it was then. I don't understand the difference between my the point two, is that the, they're the, gener- the different decades. Well, I I I I I it a bit, but my point is that in my dream world, we live in a world of satisfaction. We just we establish a, a system of systems that we're happy with, where we think the most moral good is being done, and then we leave it alone. We 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 invent new things, great, but we don't allow those new things to completely rework our happiness, our satisfaction. Yeah, but I think those new things are bound to rework your civilization. When well, we're letting them because we're, we're our civilization is run. It's a, we live in a global economy. That's part of what the Great Reset is all. The World Economic Forum right. doesn't isn't a conspiracy. They're real. I mean, the, yeah. the idea of the Great Reset isn't. Um, um, it's not a theory. Uh, it's, it's not a theory. It, That's it, it, this is something that Klaus Schwab and you know the most powerful elites in the world are are doing. They want. Yeah, they're working. What they're on trying it. to enact. Yeah. But I mean, technology is bound to change the world, regardless of. You know what I mean? You yes. How, how do you not let it change the world? How do you not let the internet? Well, I don't know. That's yeah. What level of enforcement does there need to be? How how strict do our laws and our enforcement of those laws have and, to be? And then to at keep? that point, you're stagnant. You don't know what if you could get better. Maybe you can get it. Can't get better. Well, that brings me back to an analogy. Uh, that brings me back to a, a story with my grandfather. He so he was very old school Bulgarian man, and he loved to uh, have his shoes repaired in his and and wear hats like a man straight out of the 30s right and at one time i used to go with him often when i was very little in the 80s and um one time in particular he went to this hat store this haberdashery that he just loved and there's so many hats in there and i remember looking through them and trying them on and just having a good time like i was like man this is so cool there's so many different styles of hats my grandfather was a very quiet person he didn't spend a lot of time and then he picked out a hat and then he left and i i remember thinking how did he know that was the right hat for him, right? There's so many hats and he didn't look at all of them. He didn't try all of them on. How come he was just able to make that decision so quickly? And I asked him and he said in his broken English, he's like, there's many hats and maybe there is a better one, but this one is, this one is good. And and that always stuck with me. And that, that, that laid the foundation of what I would call satisfaction, the ability to just be satisfied with what you have. Yeah. But how do you negate FOMO? How do you, how do you, how do you just like, yeah, well, you, you have to, you have to do it consciously. 
you know, that, that's what I'm getting at. Like it's something, I don't know if it's in our, in our genes and, and that's the weirdness of, of humans and why we rose to power on the planet as a dominant species, or if it's because we've been raised to be consumers because everything we see and do is wrapped in branding. It's, it's a commercial. I mean, I mean, everything, everything in your house Kinda, is a commercial yeah, for a product I mean, or an idea, or a way of living or, or a concept. I also buy so little things. So when I do buy something, I want it to be the best thing I can buy of that, of that particular thing. Like I'm not going to buy like, you know, if I'm going to buy flip flops, they better be some goddamn good flip flops. I'm not going to buy another pair until like I absolutely need flip flops for like the shower room or something. You know what I'm saying? So it's like they better be good <laughs> flip flops. Yeah, I, I hear. I hear. Similar, like, 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 I, I don't know. Like, because it's like, how do you find out what the best flip flops are? And it's the one. It's the flip flops that you see everyone wearing. It kind of like leans into Marco's point as well. A little bit, right? But I don't think it's just the ones that you see the most. I think it's the ones that fit your needs the most, and it's and you can do that by looking at different reviews. And it could be anything. Maybe it's a speaker, right? You're looking for like a, a, a what do they call that? A sound, um, a sound bar. Mm. You're not gonna. You don't want to buy like the first one you see at Walmart. Like you want to do some research. You want to do the one, find the ones that have the best, not just reviews with stars, but like actual like tech companies that like this is what they do they review speakers they review some sound bars for their job and this is is you find out from different sources see which ones you agree with the most that fit your needs and that's what you do but i i think that that's part of and then when you buy another one you don't just buy the same speaker again you do the research again because by the time you need a new one the technology has changed okay but apply the mentality to you to a world government no no to to just to you to you earning money so if your necessities are met, what is left? Basically, if, there, if your necessities are met, the way I look at it, this is my opinion, everything else is entertainment. So if you, if you are alive and healthy and living well, and you don't have to worry about those things, then everything else is an entertainment. So a, a flip-flop, a speaker, or a hat, anytime you want more of those things or you want to replace them, what do you need more of? You need more money. So that's that's where um that's that's where I'm trying to put a wedge or a checkpoint is where in that is satisfaction. Where can I just say, you know, this speaker is good enough. I don't need to replace it. Or if it breaks, I'll just want to repair it. And that was my grandfather. He he never, you know, he had the same shoes for like forty some years. He just he had them repaired because they were they were good enough. They were good shoes, you know. And the only reason he bought a hat that day was because he, presumably he lost his other one, you know, or it, it wasn't a fashion statement for him. It was a hat was a, in a way a part of him. So where is, where is true satisfaction? And I think the reason I bring that up is because I, I feel that all builds into why we are so confrontational with the powers that control society. Because you know, what's interesting to me is that like, notice how elite people are caught masquerading in their opulence and I mean, presumably at the expense of the ignorant, which is us, right? That their activities match our own fantasies. Like the most powerful people in the world seem to have the simplest desires. I mean, if often enough, it's in higher, you know, aberration by contrast. But at their core, they're just drunk perverts like the rest of us, right? It's like recently, um, an example would be how a Pfizer-sponsored yacht party, I think it was in my off the coast of Florida, like in Miami, 
uh, was for a Colombian presidential candidate. His name is Rodolfo Hernandez, and he lost. But his 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 stance was anti-corporation, and yet he went onto a party, a, a boat with a DJ and liquor and drugs and hookers. They're just women dancing, but that's what they are. And 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 the whole party was thrown by Pfizer. And in fact, had there were Pfizer executives on the yacht partying with him and whoever their you know entourage was. So that's just that's funny to me because. That's what that's like the common single man wants that, right? Like I that party looked like fun to me. Like <laughs> why wouldn't I want to do that, right? And yet this is those people are in the upper echelon. They're in the upper one percent. The, their decisions affect the lives of others. Maybe in the case of Rodolfo uh, of Hernandez, if had he become president, he would have been the entire country of <clears throat> Colombia. And it seems so petty that he was just on some small yacht. You know, a yacht's a yacht, but it's a small yacht off, you know, near Miami partying with some local hookers. I don't know. That just seems funny to me that no matter what our does that we're still human, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah, for sure. I don't think money, I think money can change a person, but it doesn't like change your carnal desires. I think we all have those same, same things, those same wants and needs and drives. I agree. Yeah. So do you, what do you think, Nave, about the old saying, um, Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Is that cliche or is that just something inevitable in any human? I think it is inevitable. I think mostly what that power, absolute power corrupts absolutely. It makes me think about, um, it makes me go back to, I'm not going to do the the Victor Frankl. I'll think about uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn who talks about um, the Gulag Archipelago. That's his, that's his books. He was a, a Russian. Mm. And he talks about a what was the I'm trying to recall the exact saying that he says. It's very similar to that, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. But essentially, uh, it's a very similar situation with Viktor Frankl, where these people, uh, as they move up and down their uh, class, essentially, oh man, I cannot articulate this because I would just want to think about that thing. So never mind. That's right. Work it out. Work it out. Well, uh, so I want to I want to hear it because I've heard of I've heard of the uh, the Gulag Archipelago and I haven't read. Oh, it. you haven't. Oh, it's a, it's no. I, I basically once a year I read it or listen to it on a book on audiobook. But um, let me see. There's an abridged version that don't read the three because there's so much like needless information and in them like scattered throughout. But what was he saying? You threw me off with that because I had it queued up, and then when you said that, I'm like, oh, shit. I was like, hmm. and then I threw, I dropped the question. Yeah, I was like, hmm, that's an interesting question. So, well, before that, before I dropped the question, uh, just to summarize, I, I was talking about how you know, like I said, we're all just drunk perverts. You know, it doesn't matter at what level of power we seem to wield. That seems to be, you know, this, it seems such a simple desire, right? To have, I guess that's also what I was getting at is that. These people, these like, you know, Pfizer executives in this case, they have this immense power or a presidential candidate. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying they shouldn't party. Absolutely. They should have fun. But, you know, t that's what influence like that's how they're bought. That's how they're, you know, they're motivated to agree with Pfizer's decisions or, you know, or to, to be bought out that way. That seems so cheap to me. You know, like if I, oh, I feel like my price like would be a lot higher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see what you're saying. Yeah. You know, and that it's such a petty. Those are such petty desires, and I, I call them petty because they're mine. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm near the bottom of the totem pole here. So no, it's like when you when you look at someone that you respect. Um, I'll take it like this: 
like I, I think of myself since I have a difficulty reading, it's like everyone I either can read. So therefore they're all automatically smarter than me. Oh, like, that's so not true though. <laughs> it's like, it's like, but then I like talk to some people that can read like well enough. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh shit. I was wrong. That is hilarious. Uh, I love that point of view. So you have <laughs> anyone who can read is- <laughs> You have to think about how that affects your mind. Like how much information can you have? It kind of touches on our, uh, the attention the attention deficit thing we were talking about or attention span i mean sorry but it's like the having not having the ability to read does that in some way like open up your brain to have more abstract thought or have like like they talk about the aborigines it definitely makes me think differently for sure but it also it makes me work harder because i things just come more difficult to me like i have a learning disability in english and math so i have to try harder than everyone else and everything I do. Mm. So, so like, I just work, I just have a, a better work ethic in that, in those like studies than most people, because for them, it just kind of came naturally. Take like uh Brett Favre wasn't necessarily a naturally gifted uh, quarterback, but he fucking worked for it. Right. Yeah. Like he, he, he earned that. So therefore, once he got to the point of naturally good talent, he already had the work ethic to push past the rest of the people that had their naturally good work or naturally good talents. It's interesting. So like, that's how it is for me with like a lot of my pursuits of knowledge is that like most people can just come across knowledge and they're like, okay, that's okay. Whatever. For, but for me, I'm like, I'm always working to understand new things and new concepts and to um, fill my brain with alternate perspectives. It's uh, the way that I imagine it. It's like, if you think, do you think in imagery imagery, or do you think in words or do you think in a combination of the two? And I think about that for all kinds of people. And I think it's different for different people. Cause I ask that, I ask people that question all the time, especially when I'm drunk, but I'm like there, cause I hear people will be like, I think primarily in images, I, I assume. And I would think I primarily think in images as well, but like, just that idea can imply that people with different languages that that are structured differently at most languages are structured mm. differently than the english language they also have different trains of thought i have a, a foreign exchange uh, student friend named victor almost said brazil we call him brazil because he's from brazil but um so he goes by <laughs> brazil unfortunately but um his name is victor and he loves that idea like he never really thought about it but he's like he's like i absolutely do have a different train of thought because portuguese is such a vastly different language than english and i definitely think in words he's like in he's in med school he's he's about to become a doctor in a few years and he's he talks to me about how the he the just the fact that he has to rethink he has to reshape his mind in order to get information to me because he has to because the the train of thought is completely different in uh, Portuguese than in English, it it uh gives it it makes him think a lot more abstract about so many other different things, and just the idea of mm. not being able to read just interests me even more. Because I'm just like now I just want to only talk about that, so I got to stop talking. No, it's a good question. I no, it's a, uh, it's I got know. me thinking. I, yeah. I I think primarily in imagery, I would say, and then a lot of feeling. Like, it's just like, like, I don't know people's names. A lot of the people I work with, I don't know their names. They just kind of like have this like feeling in my mind. That's like, like, this is what I see in you. Like, this is what I'm seeing from your, uh, that you, you present yourself as like, <laughs> there's the gay happy guy. You know, <laughs> that's, that's one of the guys. That's how I know one of the guys at work. Oh, he's the gay happy guy <laughs> with, with tight skin. <laughs> yeah. But like, 
So it's like, that's kind of like how I think it's like, it's not necessary. Sometimes it's words. Like when I'm listening to a book on tape, obviously I'm thinking in words. And like, if I'm really trying to focus on material that's being taught to me, I'm repeating what they're saying in my head. And that helps to cement it. So just to get some final thoughts about our conversation today. Uh, I guess one broad question would be, do we feel, do you feel it, that the Great Reset will succeed? Will this endeavor to um, recreate the world in a presumably less democratic way, less less republic, less democracy, will succeed? Uh, or are we, the people, fighting back? Are the countries of the world and the communities of the world fighting back um, with their voice? Which, by the way, I think we can all see as being censored, or at least in part. My immediate thought was um, back on the Glenn Beck book where he was talking about climate change. I'll loop this around, I promise. But he was talking about climate change. He's like, uh, the climate is always changing. It's always cooling and it's always warming. That's the definition of climate. But then he go turns around and he's like, th he doesn't apply that same thought process to the idea that culture changes as well. And he was trying, he was mm -hmm. fighting to maintain the American way of life and the American values and all of that. And I'm like, that's fine. You can do that. that that's, that's your prerogative. But it's interesting that you're so closed off to the idea that these, these, the way that the world is going, the way that the world functions and interacts with each other isn't going to fundamentally change as our world becomes more and more connected. Like every single year is, it becomes insanely more connected. And there are two kind. There, there are two primarily in my head kinds of people, just like on the left and on the right. Like, and you're somewhere in that little line. And the world needs both of those people, just like we need both halves of our brain. The world needs both of these kinds of people that think completely differently, because that's how we evolved and that's how we came up. So I in in conclusion, I think well, yeah, that one system doesn't work and switch to the other. Yeah, absolutely. Um. And I don't think it. I don't think it's good to have one system that switches. I think it should be a, com a conglomerate of the two systems somewhere in the middle. Like I think that the. I think we need the crazies on the left and we need the crazies on the right because then we can find out where the middle is. That's kind of a compass, like a, mm -hmm. a good polar north and a polar south. That way we can find our way along this this ridiculous map that we find ourselves on now. But um, I believe that to some degree. The Great Reset's probably just going to happen, and there's not a lot we can do about it for the most part. I don't think it's 100% exactly how it's been laid out. I think that, they're that ideas from this are going to be taken and used in whatever the net result is. And ideas from the complete opposite, the people completely against this idea, are going to be taken. And I think that that's just kind of always how humans have adapted as a generalized society, as long as we don't decide to nuke each other, which would be bad. <laughs> that would be the real great reset yeah yeah right yeah nuclear winner there we go um do i think that the great reset will succeed yeah like he's saying in some aspects of course it will because i mean we we've already changed the way we've done things i mean just go from um most people working in homes and are working at businesses so a lot of people coming to work at home so that's changing more people are starting to move out of the city into rural areas that's part of the great reset as well um i mean and corporations coming together i mean at least they're organized i think that's a good thing it's better to have organized chaos than just complete chaos um 
so yeah like you were saying i think aspects of the great reset are bound to happen and bound to occur and just uh come to fruition what do you think marco well i um I, I think you're both right uh, when you mention when you mention that um, what is going to what will stick, so to speak, will will stick around. I think that's what they're doing now. I think we're seeing a lot of things being tested socially, economically. Um, I mean, it's affecting even the way things are being engineered and, and the way things are being sold, which is interesting because now what what the main narrative on any social media is, whether it's left or right. Uh, it's all focused on minority. Uh, there seems to be never really be a conversation about the majority. And that, and that goes for any topic, not just, you know, the obvious ones, uh, which I think is interesting because it almost makes it feel like the real audience is the majority, almost like this is a circus. <laughs> and if you feel like you don't fit in with anything that's being argued, then you're in the audience. Um, I think that being only in the audience is dangerous. And it bothers me that my main desire in life is to be an audience member, not to be an influencer, right? Not to, not to, a tr not to set trend or or to influence others. Even though my default position is always a doubt peddler, you know, I'm a I'm a devil's advocate almost always. Um, that said, I think they will succeed in applying changes to society that will restructure us and shake us. And I think they will ruin good. I think it will ruin more than it will help. And I think because I believe history is just one gigantic cycle, um, not just in man, but in nature, uh, like with ice ages and volcanoes and what have you, that from that destruction will be rebirth. I think we're going to have a generation or two that will realize, boy, uh, our forefathers really screwed things up. <laughs> and, you know, they'll, it's because at some point the founding fathers, I feel like we're reaching a point where the founding fathers of America are starting to fall into sort of like the Greek mystics, right? Even though they're not thousands of years old, yeah. they're so far removed from yeah. our mentality, our modern mentality that we treat them like Aristotle or, or Apollo or, or, you know, or Socrates. So, um, that's what I think. I'd like to thank you both gentlemen for a great conversation today. Um, want to mention also, uh, an extra special thanks to Nay for joining us from the Gaming Together podcast. You guys got a great podcast, and I really enjoy uh, your banter. I also like that it's more of an adult, if I could just say that. It's more of an adult take, <laughs> which uh, which is cool to me. Oh, yeah. Uh, and if there's anything, Nave, you want to add to our listeners about your podcast or your personal endeavors? Uh, yeah, just uh, gaming, gaming together, a cooperative podcast. We mostly talk about playing with your friends from the perspective of old high school friends that reunited a year ago on the internet. Um, we are at we are on Twitter at Game Together Pod. If you want to find us over there, we have a Facebook too, but I try not to get on that site too much. Philip runs that side. That's the other half of the show. And uh, I, I love Audio Pong. This this is an awesome show. I listen to you guys every week. And uh, I'm so glad whenever I'm in my mail truck doing my job, I'm always listening to you guys and just arguing, just talking to myself <laughs> in the truck. I think everyone thinks I'm a psycho. They have a psychopath mailman, unfortunately. But they have a psychopath mailman. You're fan. one of the only shows. <laughs> we, you, we're a, you're one of the only shows that get me actually just pausing the show and being like, no, I think this way about that maybe. And oh, so I'm, awesome. I've just been wanting to be on your show for like, months well that yeah that is awesome. i'm glad we can and get we it. thank you we want to have you back again uh and we'd like to get philip again on the show uh and vice versa so thanks again for tuning in and y'all have a great day
Thank you. If you like what you're hearing, or even if you don't, that also helps. <laughs> yeah, especially if you're still listening, then please consider supporting the show. We're working hard on our passion to create quality content, and we want to bring you much more. Indeed, we've got big plans for what we want to add to Audio Pong, and we'd also love to hear from you, the audience, on topics or content Zach and I can create for you. Visit AudioPong on RedCircle.com for more information on where to support the show and where to listen. Also, feel free to contact us directly through email with AudioPong at gmail.com. Be happy. Be healthy. And have have a metal metal life. life.